guys. Welcome to the Kurt Schilling Baseball Show, show number 25. I'm Kurt Schilling. He's Bill Graff. Bill, how you doing today, buddy? Doing really well, Kurt. Excited to talk about some ball here. Interesting week. Some cool, fun, inside-the-game stuff happening that we can talk about. A ridiculously cringeworthy moment in Sunday Night Baseball that probably needs to be touched on. Some guy going crazy in the minor leagues, too. But we're going to start, uh, as usual, where baseball epicenter starts, or the epicenter of baseball starts, in New York. So long, long conversation on Twitter the other day, and we talked about it. I've talked about it with a bunch of different people. The Toronto broadcast um, with Dan Schulman caught Aaron Judge doing something that was noted and of note. They zeroed in on his head and caught him. Uh, I don't know if I can do it right here, but like they caught him looking out of his the side of his he, instead of looking at the pitcher, he was looking at the dugout or they thought it was the dugout. Uh, he said it was the dugout, you know, with sign stealing, all stuff going on. Everyone's become hyper aware. Dan Schulman speculated the judge might have been trying to look at catcher Alejandro Kirk to figure pitch calls. But Jay's color, uh, color commentator thought it was like a after judge said he was looking toward the Yankee dugout because he heard some teammates yelling Toronto suspicious. They're saying they're monitoring the situation. He, I think judge said that. Some guys were talking trash in the Yankee dugout and they were up six nothing. And he, he's not that he doesn't like that stuff and, and all that goes with that. Um, which is okay. Um, that's one explanation. John Schneider, Toronto manager, said it's kind of odd that a hitter would be looking in that direction. He's obviously looking in that direction for a reason. I think we'll dive into it a little bit more tonight and tomorrow. I'll make sure that he's doing everything he can to make to not make ourselves susceptible to tendencies, locations, pitches, or anything like that. And and the second word is is the key. One of the things that you can do. Uh, and again, we talked about this the other day. Uh, I, I mentioned about Alex Rodriguez and the stuff like that. Hitters that look away from, so so hitting is hard enough as it is. And the hitters, for the most part, will be looking at this little arm slot for pitchers uh, and focusing on where the hand comes through the zone. You look what, what you're, and and I, I walked through this, but I, I want to go through this kind of in depth in the sense that you what you'll do is you'll look towards this way. Uh, and a lot of guys with dark glasses will do it all the time, but you'll look towards this way and you're not looking this way. You're just looking to see if you can see the catcher out of your peripheral vision. I think uh, that's what he was doing because if you're facing a right-hander, contrary to what Jackson said that he was tipping his pitches to judge, <laughs> he, he, he threw a ball in the middle of the plate that should have gotten whacked 400 miles. Uh, and we'll talk about pitch tipping in just a second though. Uh, anyway, uh, on Tuesday, they played again. Domingo Herman was suspended for 10 days because he had a sticky substance on his hand. And and this is this is interesting because I wonder if umpires are really that unaware of what Rosin looks like. Anyway, he got ejected in the fourth inning for a foreign substance check. The crew chief said it was the stickiest hand I've ever felt and extremely shiny and substance was definitely not Rosin. Herman insisted that it was. So that's any guy. I think Billy got 10 days, right? 10 got, days. Uh, it's yeah, it's yeah. automatic. 10 days. Yeah, that happened. And I'm going to assume uh, generally rosin isn't sticky unless you, you mix it or isn't shiny unless you mix it with something else. Just because rosin ends up getting dirty. It's got kind of a matte look. Very flat. But along those lines, Jackson, the the the, the pitcher for Toronto who, who Aaron hit a ball at the stadium on, uh, that he was tipping his pitches. He confirmed that he was tipping his pitches during the game. A Yankees first base coach could see Jackson's grip, not technically illegal, but careless by any pitcher. So there's a history of this in the game forever. Great players. Alex Cora was the best I ever saw it. Pick this stuff up. And as a pitcher, I used to be, when, when I wasn't pitching for four days, I would always, uh, every now and then, always and every now and then, I would watch the guy and I you could pick up stuff 
literally on a pitch. True story, back in 2001 in the World Series, the Yankees came back and beat us three in Yankee Stadium. We were down 3-2 going to Arizona. And Randy Johnson was facing Andy Pettit in game six. And we beat them, I think, 16-2. to Andy Pettit tipped every single pitch he threw that game out of the stretch. Everyone. We caught it literally on the first at bat of the game. We knew about it, but but he had kind of changed it. But he went back to it, and he tipped every single pitch. And pitch tipping isn't what you think it is, in the sense that you have to notice a tip early to use it. You can't n- notice something in the middle of the windup and say, oh, breaking ball. Well, most hitters I know can't. You, you recognize before the pitch. And what it was was when Andy would come, I and mean, if you remember, Andy Pettit had a phenomenal pickoff move. When Andy went to the stretch when there was a runner on base, his hand set high for fastball and low for slider. And it was noticeably bad. And if you go back and watch that game, we absolutely blasted him to beat them like 16 to two in game five. Every pitch from the stretch, he tipped. So Andy, if you were wondering why that game was struggling, that's why. We knew what you're throwing. Uh, Still got to make the pitches, but so that's one way. Most of the other ways come this way. So for me, when I held my split-fingered fastball, I held it like this. So my hand was always wider off the ball. So I would have my glove. So for example, if I had my fingers and my, my glove like this on my fastball, I would have to go and open my fingers a little wider so my glove would fan out on my split. So I held my split every time and went from my split grip to my fastball grip without changing my glove, right? So if I'm here and I've got my fastball grip, then I have to kind of go wide to move my glove to get my split grip. You can see that very early, very noticeable. But what I did was I went straight to my split grip, which is why my finger is now bent out for life. Um, I would hold my, my, my glove open and then... Even and so what I would do is just kind of showing you this. What I would do is sometimes I would I would grab my glove and and move it around without doing anything to the ball, or I would I would I would hold my glove still and 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 change my grip. The only pitch I had trouble with was my curveball because I had such a weird grip and I had to grip it so hard that I literally had to kind of grip it like before I got here and put it up because I couldn't change. I couldn't go from this to my curveball grip in my stretch in my windup. So, but I could go from my split to anything else. You know, I just, at, at, so, so for example, as I wound up and it come over my head, I could change the ball to that without doing anything to my glove or fanning or opening or moving or anything. But tipping, the Astros cheating thing worked because they, they found out far enough ahead of time that you could bang the garbage can well ahead of the pitcher being in his windup. I, I think most hitters would agree. If you're going to tip, and you're going to give me a pitch, don't do it in the middle of a delivery because then that's just pointless. And there were guys also, uh, like Alex wanted to know if a guy could get a sign at second base and translate to the hitter. Uh, and they do that with all sorts of things. So guys guys that are on second base reading signs, they'll give, hey, listen, if I'm on both hands on my knees, it's a fastball. If I'm standing straight up, it's a breaking ball. If I if I grab my shirt, it's a breaking ball. If I tug my pants, it's a fast, whatever. But hitters wanted to know, with enough time to to process. And so Alex was a guy I, that I, as I heard, who always, if you could get him, I want to know. Other guys wanted nothing to do with it because think about this. If you're at the plate and you get fastball away and the guy screws up and it's a fastball in, you're getting hit in the temple with a 96 mile an hour fastball because you're cheating so bad. Some guys didn't want to know. Some guys wanted to know at every turn. It was very different, very hitter dependent. Um, but there were guys who were, un, like I said, Alex Cora, I know it's kind of ironic that he was part of that whole scandal, but he was the best I ever saw at it. He could pick up a pitcher tipping with one or two pitches. And there are other guys like that. And 
to you young players that are uh, potential 25th men on a roster or, or utility guys, you want to make yourself valuable, that's another way. It's, it's baseball IQ. It's baseball IQ. Being able to tell um, – sometimes the catcher will tip it away. Sometimes the catcher will give it away. Very rarely these days will you see a catcher give it away in the sense that when when uh, the Blue Jays were talking about, you know, the catcher was given signs so bad the, pitch, the first base coach could read it. Well, again, when you're a hitter and you're looking at the pitcher like this and and – the pitcher's literally kind of in the – you're not looking away or looking around at other places. There's a – you have milliseconds to to do all your processing, and getting back into focus on the pitcher is is just not something that people do naturally. It's not what people think it is. I mean, it's you know, maybe in a 30-and-over league it works like that or a men's slow pitch, sure, I get it, but not in the big leagues. Things happen so fast. Guys process so fast. There were guys who, who were at another level. Barry Bonds was a guy who – literally told me, and I, I think I said this before, I threw him some amazing splits early in my career, never swung at him. And he told me early in my career that he could see my grip as my hand was coming through the throwing slot. Now you got to remember, this is happening at thousands uh, of, of RPM. Like the, the the arm through the throwing zone is happening in, in thousands of a second. So him being able to see my fingers split apart on the ball means that he was genetically cheating. He had, God gave him some stuff nobody else had. And then there are guys like Ted Williams who could see rotation out of your hand, which again, that I believe that absolutely. Uh, and I will tell a Ted Williams story one day about one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in my life uh, at like 60 years old, he did. Uh, and it, it's one off of a story that somebody on the Yankees told a long time ago about him being able to see the bat strike the ball at contact. So uh, yeah, so that's tipping. Tipping generally has to do with the pitcher's glove where his hand set or how his glove manipulates before. And it's funny because I played with some guys, some really talented guys who they believed anytime they gave up a hit, they had to be tipping a pitch. I can remember RJ at times saying, oh, I, I definitely was tipping because that guy got a hit off me. And it was funny, like that's, you know, and you have to have that kind of an ego, I guess. There are guys who believe, and then there are guys who weren't good enough to think that, who said, oh, I have to be tipping my pitches. It was like, no, you, you, you didn't. You just stuck and you were throwing the ball down the middle. So I've got um, two takes on this yep. real quick, Kurt. One, all of it's legal. If right. you catch people tipping, it's it's legal to catch them. As long as you're doing it within the concept, right? it's part of baseball. As long as and, you're not banging a trash can based on a video. And the yelling and screaming between the Yankees bench and the Toronto bench, it's the AL East. Right. These games mean a lot. There's always going to be that. So Don't it's ever, all just but, part but of the game. I don't ever want baseball to lose that. That, right. that, 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 that. That's the heat of the moment competition thing that umpires get thrust in the middle of, and they have no understanding of what's going on to the degree it's going on and no concept of that's just the way the game plays. And that used to be taken care of by the teams. Right. If you're given sign, I mean, I can remember, honest to God, I can remember stories and then hearing Nolan Ryan thought that somebody was giving signs from second base and basically said he stepped off the mound and looked at the guy at second base and kind of nodded his head. And the next time the guy came up, he there was a baseball inside his ribcage. <laughs> and you don't do it again. That, I mean, that was how it was done. And I know that's the old school, oh, tough guy, but that was how you policed yourself in the game. You didn't throw people's heads. And I'm not talking about, you know, Juan Marichal taking a bat to home plate or, or using a bat to kill somebody, but you you did that you 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 took care of that on the field um and as far as tipping goes tipping is it's been around forever 
if you can get a guy and it takes baseball IQ to figure it out. There are hitters that tip and there are, you know, there are, are pit, hitters will tip again uh, uh, to pitchers, p- vice versa. You just have to be smart enough to understand what you're looking at and how you're looking at it and having somebody on, like I said, have, I used to try and look early on and talk to the guys that I, that, and there were guys who say, hey, listen, if you see anything, let me know, you know, and it, it speaks volumes to guys like Maddox and, and all those other guys, you know, they, understand and, and it's what you did in the minor leagues when you spent three four five six hundred innings in the minor leagues you generally every kid on the planet comes into the base professional baseball tipping somehow uh, and you learn in the minor leagues to address it and fix it and amend it but with uh 80 innings in the minor leagues you're you have you there's so much other stuff on your plate when you get to the big leagues it's the last thing in the world that you're doing and and that's what you know you hear people talk bill about you know, second, third time around the league, this is going to, they're going to, well, that's what happened. Second or third time around the league, there's enough video. They're like, oh, okay. When he throws his slider, he's setting at his stomach. And when he throws his fastball, he's setting at his chest. If you see him uh, uh, move the pinky side of his glove, that's his cutter. Or if you, you know, stuff like that, that, that just guys pick it up. Terry Francona was phenomenal at it too. And, and, and a lot of that has to do with your position. Like I said, guys, a lot of guys, Gary Varsho, uh, whose son Dalton Varsho is, is uh, by the way, Dalton Varsho is named after Darren Dalton, for those of you that didn't know. Um, Gary Varsho uh, was a guy who was a, he was a utility guy, uh, uh, you know, a 10th man, but he had baseball IQ out of, out of the universe. And and that was something that he did. You attain and and accrue extra value by being one of those guys. So anyway, um, a sad note. And the answer before is no, Bill. I never had any uh, interaction or running with Don Dinkinger. He passed away at 86. Uh, and and unfortunately, uh, he will be remembered for probably the worst call in World Series history. Cardinals, Cardinals, Royals. Uh, Todd Worrell, I think, was the pitcher. Uh, bang, bang play at first base. That wasn't a bang, bang play. It was safe by 77 feet. Or, yeah, no, out by – he was out. And he, he called was him out. Safe. Right. Uh, Right. He was out by 12 feet and he called him safe. And it was just one of those calls that, and it changed the outcome of the game. Now, much like go back to the Cubs Marlins, uh, when Moises Alou went to the stands to catch the ball and claim fan interference. And the guy that got ousted out of Chicago, Bartman, Bartman. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody blamed the Cubs blamed the, uh, him for, uh, costing him the playoffs. There was about 15 things that happened after that that could have prevented uh, them from losing that game. And that didn't happen. It had nothing to do with that. That might've been a factor, but certainly not. Uh, and this, uh, but this was a huge call in a big moment in a, in a big game that turned the course of the game and changed the outcome of the world series. That big of a deal. I am going to, so I promised you guys the other day, uh, there's a couple things. Actually, I want to mention one, two, two, two other quick things. Uh, Colt Keith, who is on the, uh, he's 87 on the overall prospect list. Colt Keefe hit for the cycle in the minor leagues. All right. He's the 87th overall prospect. Uh, he's playing for the Tigers. Fifth round draft pick, playing for the Erie Seawolves. He had a, not that he only hit for the cycle. He had two home runs and had six hits. And is the first player to have a six, six hit cycle with multiple home runs. And I'm going to guess that that might include the big leagues. I'm not sure, but I'm going to assume that it does. And we'll get I, I would do more than assume. I would almost yeah. guarantee. Yeah. Uh, this is the first cycle on a six-hit night with two home runs. Before we get to my funniest teammates in history, for me, we got to talk about a very cringeworthy moment uh, on ESPN. So I think one of the greatest inventions in the last 10 years has been miking players. I think baseball has the, the ability to do it way better than any other sport. 
um, with all the quote unquote downtime, much less so with the pitch clock now. But I think the, the sport is Mayport Plus. I think there's so many funny guys in baseball that you could you could do that. Anyway, Sunday night, Tristan Cassis, the first baseman for the Red Sox, was mic'd up. If you guys remember, Sunday was Mother's Day. So I look at this mic'd up moment as, hey, let me ask you a funny story about a nip bat. You could tell me over a couple pitches, maybe, but you're looking for quick hit and miss stuff. Rabbits dropped a, uh, I know your mom passed away when you were young. What does Mother's Day mean for you and your brother? And the answer was uncomfortably awkward is the, it would be the best possible description I could put on it. And here, here's the answer. What happened was unfortunate to me, but I have so many mother figures in my life, whether they have my last name or whether they don't. I know she's watching me every day. I know she's smiling and proud of me. Yeah, for the most part, I think I've been all right. I'm not even going to comment on what that answer potentially entails. I'm just going to say that that's probably not what they were thinking of when they had this whole mic'd up thing uh, going. But I love you, Carl, but I think you totally crocked that one. Five funniest teammates, all right? Wait, so, before so you get to that, I, I don't want to go by this week without talking about Ronald Acuna real quick. Oh, yeah, yeah, what, okay. What he – there have been seven home runs – hit over 450 feet right he's got three of them the yeah, dude and he leads just turned, the what, nl he, in he four... just turned like 13 yeah i i also found this one that i didn't put on the sheet but there have been exit velocity of 105 miles per hour off the bat and acuna has hit the ball that hard 47 times the next really the next guy there's two of them at 34 Devers right. and Vlad Jr. I don't this is the first time we brought him up on the show, but this guy's in another world. Yeah. Well, I mean, is that that's one of those things that you look at the new sabermetric guys who who exit velocity is so important to them. Um and, and I I'm not sure. So I I don't know how it quantifies itself into a statistic. I do know uh just like spin rate that there's absolutely a, a fundamental foundational element to it that's important, right? Because basically what it means is, and not basically, but you're hitting the ball harder than other people, right? And right. I'm, I would assume that there's an exit velocity level where when you're above this, you're elite. When you're uh, uh, below it, you're a big leaguer. And when you're at this level, you're probably not, you know, because you're talking about when you put the ball in play, there's eight guys that can catch it. Right. So so in a sense, you're taking you're, you're taking away the ability of players to move because so a ball comes off the bat. Let's say a ball comes off the bat at 105 miles an hour. Let's just say it's a ground ball. Well, that means that position players in X and Y position only have X amount of time to defend that ball. So when you talk about range metrics and all this other stuff, I that factors into defensive metrics, I think, in a way that maybe fans don't understand and maybe baseball hasn't fully encompassed. But. Yeah, I mean that, and, and I, I find it very, very telling that all three of those guys are, are young players. Right, right. I, I think, and what that means, I'm not, but I think that's the new, the new convention of hitting, the new, the new approach, which is swing hard, uh, and and that that's why the kid, and I'm gonna uh, somebody help me with his last name, the kid that uh, is in Florida now that came from Minnesota, the contact kid. Uh, um, oh my the, goodness, the, the guy kid who's it, in Arizona, Arias. Yeah, yeah, Urias. I, I guarantee you his exit velocities aren't elite, but the guy doesn't swing and miss. 
which right. used to be an insanely valuable trait. You know, maybe it's undervalued now because if you, well, I don't care if you make contact, if your exit velocity is averaging X, then whatever. This kid, you know, when people talk about 400 never being done again or the 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 56 game hitting streak, that's the kind of hitter that I'm talking about that that can potentially be that guy. He doesn't swing and miss. When I, I that was and that was the hitter I disliked the most. Uh, I had I didn't have a problem if a guy struck out a hundred times. I had issues with guys who didn't swing and miss because then I had to manipulate the ball in the strike zone to a place where I could control where they made contact and where they hit the ball. And and that's not necessarily easy to do. All right. Five so funniest. anyway, five funniest teammates. So uh the first three on my list are are kind of like uh, I hate to use his name, but they're kind of like Michael Jordan to the NBA. There's these three, and then there's there's other really awesome guys, but they're not on this level. First one was David West, big left-handed reliever who actually sadly recently just passed away from, from uh, brain cancer a couple years back. One of the funniest human beings I've ever known in my life. Doug Mirabelli, uh, still a dear, dear close friend. Damian Miller from the Arizona Diamondbacks uh, catcher. These three guys, and what made them funny was a lot of different stuff. So, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell this first little uh, joke, and it's going to probably, well, it's more adult content than than not, but but I got to tell it because it, it you probably won't laugh really hard at the way it's said, but you will, if you understand the moment, you'll, you'll die laughing. We were in a, a house of ill repute uh, when I was a younger player, and I was with David West, and there was a young lady <clears throat> who was doing what she did professionally uh, on a stage, and she had long white stockings on. In the middle of the performance, and it was an A-plus performance, I might add, David West just nonchalantly says, God, I wish I looked that good in my sannies. And I lost it. I literally fell on the ground laughing. I was puking almost, throwing up laughing because it was said with a straight face, completely out of nowhere and perfectly toned that it was one of the funniest things I've ever heard. Um, Doug Mirabelli was a guy at four in the morning when you're on a bus in customs in Toronto and everybody's miserable because you just lost eight to nothing. Doug Mirabelli was the guy in the back of the bus that could say something and the entire bus would laugh out loud. And he was just that guy every team had to have. Um, he, uh, he just had it and he still has it. He's still one of the, there is a website and I, uh, uh, I think it's called Dougie goes deep. Dougie had this, like, uh, it was an urban legend and it's, it is literally one of the funniest websites that has ever, it's just all these things about Doug, like Chuck Norris, like people talk about Chuck Norris, that someone made a website for Doug Mirabelli and you have to read it. I think it's called DougieGoesDeep.com, but it's Google it. You'll find it. It's hilarious. And then Damian Miller. There's very few things I liked about Milwaukee. The whole town smelled like Schlitz beer, um, which I had a problem with. But Damien was the cheesehead from uh, uh, Wisconsin. Apparently, they're just funny people because everything out of this guy's mouth was funny. He could say stuff on the mound during a catcher's uh, uh, we come out that would that would I would laugh. I just would laugh. He just had that. He had, and it's when you realize really funny people are just naturally funny. They just the things that they say and do. They don't try. They just are. And those three guys were on a level, uh, a cut above. Um, the other two guys, believe it or not, were were, were Philly's teammates. Uh, Kevin Jordan, who was a uh, utility guy, uh, uh, a phenomenal guy. He had a dry sense of humor that was, uh, it was awesome. It was awesome. And um, 
the other guy who is still a dear friend of mine, who I my career arc kind of interspersed with this guy multiple times, was Todd Pratt. He was self-deprecating to a degree that was funny, was beyond funny. He was a he, first of all, he was a phenomenal guy, but he was that guy who would say stuff about himself, and then. He was the guy that would do stuff on the field that everybody would, he would be the only guy that would do it. Like he swung and twisted his ankle in a bat and got it, went on the disabled list or now it was the injured list. Now swinging, he twisted his ankle and fell down. And it was one of those. And he had a, he had a laugh that was beyond, beyond funny. Uh, his laugh was as funny as it's almost like Burt Kreischer. The laugh is as funny as the comedy. And so you laugh no matter what. And he was that guy too. He was he could make people laugh at different times. And and he was he was incredibly loved and respected by all of his teammates everywhere he went for that reason. He was a he was a gamer, great guy. Uh and 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 a, a kind of a sleeper guy on the list might be all when I do my most athletic teammates, this guy might also make it as well. Brian Anderson, left-handed pitcher. He, he he's a uh, he's a on the air for the Rays now. Um he was one of the funniest guys I've ever seen. And, and one of the, I, my, one of my most vivid memories was um, uh, opening day for college, uh, uh, college football season. I came into the locker room and he had his ankles and his, his wrist taped and he had his mission. He had a football Jersey on and he was calling audibles in the middle of the Arizona Diamondback clubhouse. He was that kind of a college football fan. And, and I'm, I'm going to go one honorable mention. So the funniest coach, that I ever played with might've been one of the funniest human beings I've ever known was a gentleman named Brian Butterfield. Brian was a, a, a lifelong coach. Uh, he was in Arizona when I got there in 2000 and this is almost the same story. So, and I've talked to butter forever. Um, and I love the man to death. Great coach, phenomenal coach, but he, uh, opening day of college. So Brian Butterfield is a Michigan fan to the point where it's uncomfortable. He's a Michigan fan. I came into the clubhouse on the opening day of Michigan's football season. He was in a four-point stance in the middle of the locker room, naked. And when I say naked, I mean raw, buck naked, with a Michigan Wolverines football helmet on. In a four-point stance, calling out snap counts. And then hiking and, like, rushing the quarterback, the fake quarterback, naked. It was just pure gold. It was every time I vision the guy, I see him naked in a four-point stance with a Michigan Wolverines football helmet on. And it just makes me laugh. And he was one of those. He was a phenomenal, phenomenal coach, phenomenal human being. So there's my list of funnies. And I know I've left people out. Guys like Mark Lewis, uh, Billy Miller was quietly funny. Dustin Bedroya was funny. Um, but but those guys were in my – and if I forget somebody, I'll bring him, bring him on. I'll bring him back later. But uh, – that was uh, and I got we actually Bill I got a lot of good recommendations for best of lists so I'm I'm, I'm uh, this is going to be a fun thing to do yeah and I got uh, a couple as well so we will so build on Tuesday of next week we'll do another one um and uh, you know like I said it'll be I I'll, I won't do I'll do best defensive players but also do like my best third baseman best whatever because uh, there's an endless amount of things you can do here so uh, anyway Billy uh, I'm headed to the University of Tennessee for my daughter's graduation. Congratulations. Uh, she is a volunteer and a uh, a college graduate, so I'm very excited for this weekend. Uh, and I will catch you guys, Cal and, and uh, John, I'll catch you guys on Tuesday next week. Take care.